0: Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Jeff Bloom. And Jeff had the honor of being appointed American Society of Golf Course Architects president earlier this spring in his hometown of Houston, Texas. It was an exciting moment for Jeff. And we're going to talk about that experience and some of his goals for the next year. As president. And we're also going to be talking about some of the projects he's done recently, including some of the work he's done in partnering with municipalities and golf courses to help manage stormwater. But before we get going with Jeff, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a great supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts including the work of golf course superintendents so we're glad that they're on board with the podcast and we're glad that jeff was able to take some time to speak with us well jeff thanks for joining the podcast it's great that you're able to take some time to chat with us congratulations on becoming president of the american society of golf course architects and the first thing i want to ask you is what was that like earlier this spring in houston becoming the president of the society in your hometown what were the emotions and the excitement like of of that moment
1: it's obviously a, a lot of fun and and something that uh, forward to in your career uh, as you as you go through it. The fact that we were in Houston, I think, made it a little more special. My my family was able to be there. My 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 mom and dad and my wife and my kids and and uh, we had some special people there, some special guests that uh, that came in. Uh, a fellow named John Dunn who who introduced me. Uh, and then obviously Jerry Lemons one of our members uh did the invocation and so it was a, it was a special night for for not just me but for our whole family and uh yeah it's uh it's it's something you kind of look forward to for about 3 or 4 years as you're on the executive committee and it it seems to to sneak up on you pretty quick and uh from talking to to Greg Martin and John Sanford the last two presidents it goes by in a hurry as well
0: yeah I was fortunate enough to attend the meeting and We drove around on some buses around Houston. What has the city and the region been like since Hurricane Harvey, and how inspiring was it in the aftermath to kind of see everybody in your community come together?
1: When Harvey came through, obviously that's a a disaster of of epic proportions, but there were some really nice things that came out of Harvey. You saw a lot of people working together to help each other and volunteering around the area to, to help people recover. And the one thing I'll say about the city is it's very resilient. Um, you know, you would think with a disaster of that magnitude, you would have uh, a lot of lingering, uh, a lot of lingering uh, issues. Uh, but Houston has gone through it pretty quick. And when you drive around the city now, uh, you don't really even notice much of it, unless you get into some of those neighborhoods that were were really impacted uh, the heaviest. Uh, you know, there's still some neighborhoods that are relatively empty people have not got back into their homes and they're still working to uh, to recover but in a lot of cases uh, you wouldn't even know we had a a storm like that uh, less than a year ago
0: what did the hurricane do for the golf market how did it affect the business of golf in houston and has it made facilities rethink things here in the last few months
1: certainly impacted the uh, the golf industry here. Uh, there have been five or six golf courses uh, in the metropolitan area that, that closed down as a result of, uh, of Hurricane Harvey and will never reopen, um, which is unfortunate, but in some ways you look at it and you say, well, uh, maybe for those that survived, it's better. Uh, it, it improves the market. It takes some of the supply out of the market. And Houston's like every other town in the country. We overbuilt uh in the last twenty years and so uh it, it has sort of brought a balance uh back to uh to the number of golfers and the number of golf courses and I think what we've seen is that the uh the facilities that are still operating and have recovered from Harvey uh are actually doing better than they they have in years. Uh and I think that's obviously a result of some closures. But I think it's obviously also a result of uh guys looking at the, the way they manage their facilities and and uh, making some adjustments uh, as needed uh, to become more efficient. And one of the areas I think that I've seen that the most is uh, you've seen a lot of bunker renovations in town. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of folks that have come in to uh, uh, to help the clubs with uh, with those renovations. And I think they're looking at different options to try to help reduce their bunker maintenance. They're looking at options to uh, take their bunker uh, square footages down a little bit. Um, to make themselves more maintainable, and uh, in most cases, it's worked very well. We've done it uh, in a number of places, and we have been able to, uh, uh, to make those facilities much more maintainable uh, than they were in the past.
0: What is it like as an architect when you get involved in a bunker project that maybe was unexpected and in a response to a storm? Uh, how quickly do some of these move along, and what role can an architect play in a, in a fast-moving bunker project?
1: There's a lot of them that move along very quickly, and, and that was out of necessity after Harvey because the facilities had to get back open to get the cash register ringing again. And uh, as an architect, it gives you a great opportunity to go in and not just put back what was there before, but to improve the facility, and it doesn't cost that much more money to do it. Uh, we had a case at a, at a project we did uh, in Sugarland called Sugar Creek, where we had done, uh, they have 27 holes, we had done nine holes over the last four years uh, with one year uh, where we didn't do anything, but uh, nine holes a year for, for uh, like say, over four years. Two of those were already uh, finished, uh, and we went back in and redid the bunkers because that side of the golf course flooded and improved them, went back with Better Billy Bunker in the bunkers, and it has improved their maintainability dramatically, but it gave us an opportunity to reestablish the design lines that were there, to make some changes. Uh, We eliminated a bunker or two, and these bunkers were, like I say, less than four years old. Uh, So, you know, they took the opportunity to go in and and do some, uh, some adjustments that have made them better and a lot of that in the Houston area, obviously, with Harvey, was done through uh, insurance money that the clubs got uh, as a result of the storm. And they wanted to get back in play, like I said, as fast as they could.
0: Yeah, You mentioned insurance money. I think that's another area where an architect can really help a, a club out.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and really on, on a number of sides. Obviously, there's the work that uh, can be done, uh, the repair work or the renovation work that is uh, the result of a claim. Uh, but I've also had some, some colleagues that have gone in and, and looked at things from the insurance company's side in terms of uh, determining what the damages actually are and what the cost of those damages are. And uh, so you really can, can kind of play both sides of the fence as an architect depending on, uh, you know, which entity you're working for. Uh, obviously, the, the design and the construction side is a little more uh, – Significant if you're working for the, the club or the person who had the, had the loss, uh, but you can also uh, work on the insurance side and in helping them determine what the value of that loss should be.
0: Big storms obviously did not start with Harvey in Texas. They, they happen every year, and they seem to be getting more violent. You've been working for a long time now with municipalities and clubs on projects to, to move water Explain those to our listeners, some of the unique partnerships you've had in the last few years and how they've kind of become a win-win for the golf facility and the surrounding community.
1: There's been a number of projects in the country uh, over the last, uh, say, 10 to 15 years where municipalities are looking for, particularly in a place like Houston, where you need a lot of stormwater storage and detention, and you've got a community that has built up over time and it's, it's, it's highly urban. Uh, there's not that much open land left uh, to start uh, trying to do detention on. So what a lot of these municipalities have done is, is gone and looked to their, their golf courses, municipal golf courses, but also to doing public-private partnerships with private facilities to see if there's a way for the golf course to store some water to help alleviate flood issues within the community. We've done a number of those. Uh, I mentioned the Sugar Creek project just a little while ago uh, with regard to the bunker renovation, but a big part of that project was uh, to uh, convey stormwater to another project that we did, uh, which is another private club right next to Sugar Creek called River Bend. Uh, On that project, we created 25-acre feet of storage because uh, it was at the bottom of the watershed, and then with Sugar Creek, the water would go through Sugar Creek to get to the storage at Riverbend. And that was all uh, a partnership with the city of Sugarland. worked great for the clubs. They got uh, their golf courses uh, uh, somewhat redone uh, in relation to what they were providing the city, uh, and the city got the stormwater detention and conveyance that they needed. So it was a win-win for both sides. It gives the clubs an opportunity to have some work done uh, at the cost of someone else. And it gives the cities or the municipalities uh, the storage that they need uh, to, to combat flooding uh, issues in the future.
0: Jeff, how complex are these projects? And who are some people you work with on the projects like you just described that maybe you would not normally work with if, if, if the golf course was just involved?
1: Well, they're they're very complex because you've got a lot of moving parts. You've got a, a municipality uh, very often that's involved um, with the city of Sugarland. We worked with uh, obviously the uh, the city council, uh, the mayor. We worked with uh, the city engineering department, uh, a fellow named Chris Steubing who was just fantastic to work with. Uh, and then you have the club side of things. You're working with uh, obviously your general managers, your superintendents, your golf pros, and the staff at the club and the members. Um, it's a little bit easier if you're doing it with uh, a municipality and they own the golf course. You're, you're, you're dealing with municipal operation because it's all under one roof and you're not having to put together that public-private uh, partnership. Uh, and we've done that with the city of Houston, sort of the flood czar down here in Houston, is a fellow named Stephen Costello. You saw him on TV during Harvey when all that was going on. He was, he was sort of at the epicenter of, of all of that and they've had us look at a number of the city courses here in Houston as to where we can convey water and store water on those golf courses as well. So, um, you know, you deal with a lot of different people. Uh, A lot of different people are wearing different hats, and you have to uh, look at the project in a way that satisfies everybody's requirements, uh, because what the city's looking for, the municipality's looking for, is not necessarily what the club is looking for. So, Uh, You have to sort of marry those interests, which can be a challenge. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's very rewarding for everybody involved, and it becomes a win-win project for the community as as well as the club.
0: What would you tell somebody in the golf industry looking to do one of these projects? How do you get a project like this going?
1: Well, uh, obviously you have to have a need. Uh, it's, it's easy to find the club that has a need because they're always doing things to their golf course. It's their major asset. Uh, but a lot of times, if, you know, if you're an architect or somebody that's involved in the business, whether you're a contractor or, or uh, you know, a consultant of some kind, it's good to get to know, uh, you know, your local, uh, your local city officials. Uh, and your local municipal officials maybe county officials or something of that nature uh, because they're always looking for opportunities uh, to do things like this that will cost the city less money in the long run than if they had to go out and purchase land and, and and do detention in some other area a lot of times these partnerships are very beneficial so if you can if you can get a hold of and get to know who the the real movers and shakers are in your community, they can point you in the right direction to find uh, the people that are that are going to be involved in a project like this. And it's really, you know, you, you talk about the golf industry overall uh, in recent years and how we're not building as many golf courses. This is a real opportunity for architects across the country to generate uh, some work for themselves uh, because it is so beneficial to the communities around it. Now, the one key is you've got to make sure when you, promote this and present it to the community that they understand that it's not a city just going and working on a golf course. There's a reason why it's being done and how it benefits the community as a whole. And if that messaging is right, uh, then the projects can be a tremendous success.
0: How many of your projects also involve the other side, too little water, properly distributing the water? Texas sees both extremes. How much time do you spend on irrigation-related projects?
1: Well, I think what you see a great deal of these days, uh, certainly in Texas and in Houston in particular, uh, we have some subsidence issues, Uh, obviously with a a city the size of Houston where, uh, you know, typically people were drawing groundwater out of the ground uh, to irrigate to, uh, you know, for household reasons and, and whatever the case may be. Uh, we've drawn all, an awful lot of water out of the ground over the years, and so the ground starts to sink a little bit. And what's happened in Houston in the last 20 years uh, is those subsidence issues have now become a big part of uh, water management on a golf course. And uh, what we see here is nothing new to to most of the country. Uh, reuse water, uh, effluent water. We're doing a lot of work in that regard. And uh, what you have to do there, obviously, is create a storage reservoir where that water can go and how that water gets to your site. And in Houston in particular, they want golf courses to be off of well water and onto surface water. And uh, you're seeing golf courses convert more and more to that because it's, it's obviously a good use of that water uh, and uh, it, it, it helps with the subsidence issues. So we're seeing a lot of that here. If you go out farther west, uh, in Texas, you get a little drier, a little more arid climate, uh, you'll see some things like turf reduction. Uh, and that's certainly very prevalent out out in the far west in California and Arizona, uh, where you're you're reducing turf uh, square footages on the golf course to minimize the need for irrigation. And a lot of my colleagues out, out on the west coast have done a tremendous amount of uh, turf reduction plans. And we're seeing it in Texas to a lesser extent uh, because our our water situation is not near as as drastic as theirs. But uh, it does make the golf courses more efficient, more more user-friendly in terms of maintenance and costs. And uh, so you're seeing a lot of that uh, in the marketplace as well.
0: You've become ASGCA president at a pretty exciting time. The recession now is a few years in the past. There's a lot of optimism amongst your Colleagues, how would you describe the condition from your perspective of the, the golf industry and what type of opportunities do you see for people like yourself and other ASGCA members?
1: Well, obviously, we've been through some pretty rough times uh, you know, since 2008, but I, I think your, uh, your premise is correct. I think the, the golf industry is on the rebound. I think we have certainly bottomed out. I think that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, Now, we still have some supply and demand issues that that need to be worked through. Uh, We're still closing more golf courses than we're opening, but you are starting to see new projects start to come around again. We've got a brand-new one that we're doing in Louisiana right now. Uh, It's replacing an old municipal golf course with a new one. Uh, You're starting to see projects like that, which five years ago, there was virtually no new construction going on. Uh, And I think now you're starting to see some of that. I think the renovation market remains uh, strong. Um, And and what I think we need to do as an industry, as architects, as builders, uh, as writers, uh, you know, anybody that's engaged in the golf industry, we've got to start telling a different story. Uh, And one of the things I mentioned in, in my presidential address is that there are economic models in golf that work and work very well. And we need to start publicizing those projects that are economic successes. We do a great job when we have an environmental success, or we have a stormwater success, or something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, if people, uh, if clients are not making money, their their concern about the environment uh, gets a little bit less. Uh, you know, their concern about uh, other issues in the golf industry uh, is is somewhat limited because obviously they've got a business to run, and that business has to be successful to be sustainable. And so, you know, in that sustainable model, we've talked about water, we've talked about environmental issues, we've got to have economic issues as well. And what I would like to do uh, over the coming year is just get the message out there from my colleagues and from owners, uh, from contractors, from everybody in the golf industry that is involved in successful economic projects to tell that story and tell uh, potential developers and clubs and, and friends and members, uh, anybody that's involved in golf, tell them how uh, those projects work. And, uh, and then that maybe can change the narrative that has been going on in recent years that, oh, you don't want to invest in golf, it's a loser. It's not. Uh, golf can be very successful economically, and when it's successful economically, it brings along so many other uh, great characteristics with it social, economic. Uh, there are so many good things that golf teaches that uh, if we could get our economic house in order, then uh, those, those other things fall into place.
0: Touching on that earlier this year, the ASGCA released a market research report. How important was it to document some of the things you just talked about? And for our listeners that aren't familiar, describe some of the, the findings of that report.
1: Yeah, we had uh, John Last of uh, Sports and Leisure uh, Research do uh, do a study uh, for us, um, which I think was very uh, enlightening uh, to a lot of us. Uh, it was also uh, kind of confirmed some of the things that we we have always kind of held true as to why people do renovations and and how facilities were doing and what they focus on and what they get the biggest bang for their buck when they invest dollars back into their facility. Uh, a lot of that information was in there and John did a fantastic job he, he's really an industry leader in in conducting that type of research uh, but what it, it showed to us is that most clubs uh, or most golf course owners uh, are still going to view uh, their golf course as their primary uh, amenity and their and their primary engine uh, for making their 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 business go uh, it looked at things like food and beverage it looked at uh, other associated uh, activities, tennis, swimming, all of those things and and it sort of confirmed what we've always believed is that golf is the driver uh, but nowadays in the modern club you have to have uh, a thing for mom to do and things for the kids to do so you see clubs starting to invest in fitness and investing in modernizing their, their pools and their swimming facilities and their tennis facilities and things like that but even with all of that, it still shows that golf is the driver. Uh, there are models now that that allow food and beverage to be more successful. I think the days of uh, you know the, the the white-jacketed waiters with the towels over their arm and the fine dining uh, that club model still exists in some areas and is still successful in some areas, but it is it is really starting to go by the wayside. And what we're seeing is uh, that the the modern day club member is a lot more casual in how they they uh, interact in the club and how they view their dining facilities and and uh, so you have clubs that are now starting to look at different things uh, different activities different uses for their facilities uh, that enable them to draw in those those younger crowds and the kids and and the whole family uh, to to bring them to the club and Really, really good research from John. Uh, there's a lot still to do. He's still working with us. Uh, and, uh, you know, so a lot of his research confirmed some of the stuff that we always believe. but it also gave us uh, some great information as to what people are looking for today.
0: At what point in your career did you realize that golf was a giant business and it was more than just a game?
1: Kind of early on. I, I've told the story before of, uh, you know, how I've, I wound up getting in golf design business. Uh, I was a a reasonably good high school player, and I had a had a potential uh, uh, to play some college golf, had some interest from some, I was in Northern Virginia at the time, had some interest from some schools in North Carolina, and my dad sat me down and asked me if I could make a living playing golf, and, and with probably a lot of foresight for a 17-year-old, I said no, uh, but I'd like to stay in the business, and uh, that's how I really got engaged in golf course design. I went and got a a degree from Texas A&M in landscape architecture, and, and was fortunate that I got out in the late 80s and, and did my first uh, stint with Jeff Brower up in, in Arlington. Taught me an awful lot about the business and then was able to uh, uh, to come down to Houston where my wife's family was from and, and work with Robert Von Hagee for a number of years doing projects all over the globe. Uh, so I got out of it. I, I got in, into the business at a good time, and then also had good timing when I started my own business in 1997. The, the business was still going good and was able to get established before the downturn. Um, but it, it, it enabled me to stay in touch with the game. You know, I don't play as much as I would like. I spend a lot more time uh, caddying for my, my 12-year-old son than I do playing, and I actually sort of enjoy that even more. Uh, but uh, it's such a great game, and it's a game for a lifetime. And it's been a career for a lifetime for me, which I just feel honored and thrilled to be able to do that.
0: And you grew up in a military family, right? And played a lot of your golf at a bunch of different places growing up. How how has that helped you uh, later in life, and as you've established your your career?
1: Well, I did. My dad was a was an Air Force uh, fighter pilot. He, he retired as a major general. We moved uh, all over the world. We spent five and a half years in Europe when I was a kid, and that's really where I. I started to pick up the game. I played a lot of golf at uh, a club called Woodlawn Golf Club that's on uh, the Ramstein Air, Air Base over there in Germany. And I think, you know, my upbringing and moving so much, I went to nine different schools, uh, has made me a little more at ease with meeting people, creating relationships, uh, because I had to do it when I was a kid. You know, we, we, we moved every three or four years, and... uh so when you when you grow up that way and you're in those kinds of social situations, it makes it a little easier when you're sitting down with a group of people that maybe you've never met before that are interested in in perhaps hiring you to do do some work on their golf course. Uh, you know the military golf courses for me were a, were a great place to grow, grow up. Uh, you know mom knew that I was going to the golf course and I'd stay there for five six seven hours that day and and then she'd come pick me up and. And, and we'd go home, and the next day we'd do it all over again. Um, kind of sad uh, these days that uh, some of those courses are, you know, in need of some uh, uh, some attention. Uh, we've done a few over the years, but there's a lot more to do. Um, but uh, it was a great way to grow up. Uh, I got to see a lot of things and do a lot of things that I probably would have never done otherwise uh, without my dad's career.
0: So you've had the opportunity to work on some military courses, and do you remember what that experience was like?
1: Yeah, we did one uh, with the Army out at Fort Bliss in El Paso. Uh, that was back in 2005, 2006. Mid-America Golf built it for us. And it was a it was a design-build project. We went to, in together as a team. Um, you know, the one thing I will say is, it depends on which branch of the military you're working with as to uh, how those projects are, are carried out. Uh, the Air Force tended to be more... Uh, on a base-by-base uh, base, uh, uh, perspective, you know, the, the commanders on an individual base seem to have a lot more uh, say in the projects. The Army was a little more centralized. Uh, they did some things mostly out of, uh, out of Washington. We dealt a lot with, uh, with the staff up there. Um, they have a very structured way of doing things, as you might imagine, uh, when you're working with, uh, with the federal government. So it took some getting used to. Uh, But they were very very good projects to do, and you felt like you were doing something for people that uh, have done so much for us as a country. And, you know, with my background of growing up that way, I've always had that kind of respect for the military, and so it it was always an honor to do something for them. Uh, I also got to do one that wasn't necessarily for the military, but... uh, uh, was able to redo the golf course up at Texas A&M, which obviously has a big military history. It's where my dad went to school and where I went to school right on the front of the campus. And it was a, a, just a ton of fun to do that project uh, when you're going home to where you went to school and, and working right there uh, on a golf course that you used to play. Uh, so we've, we've had some good experiences both with the military and, and uh, you know certainly with A&M when we got to do that project.
0: What's one type of project you have not had a chance to do that you would really like to do?
1: I've had a pretty good uh, spectrum in my career. When I was working with Mr. Von Hagee, we did some really high-end international stuff, uh, which was a lot of fun to do. Uh, We've done a lot of municipal work over the years. We've done uh, some some development golf courses that have been very successful. Uh, Probably, if I had to say, the one the one thing I've never really had a, an opportunity to do, uh, in, in any really, uh, monumental sense would be, uh, you know, a, a groundbreaking resort type golf course, you know, st- but there are just not that many out there. Uh, you know, how, how many times can you do pebble beach, right? Uh, it'd be wonderful to be able to do some things like that, but, uh, they may be coming in the future. We did some nice ones in Mexico over the years that were, Were resort facilities and had some great projects down there. We did one called Isla Navidad and one called Playa Car down near Cancun. Uh, But in the United States, I really have never had that opportunity. So if, uh, you know, if you know one, let me know. I'd be glad to go help them out.
0: Yeah, I wish I had the money to fund one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're going to have an exciting year. You're going to have a busy year representing the ASGCA at dozens and dozens of events. What excites you most about representing the organization here in the next 11 months
1: first and foremost we've we've got a great group of people in our organization and they are you know what, what is so interesting about our group is that you know we all compete with each other uh, on a day-to-day basis but as you saw when you were here in houston uh, i consider a lot of those guys and, and girls some of some of my best friends and so, you know, when you go out and you and you compete on a day-to-day basis, and maybe it's you don't get a job but uh, one of your colleagues does that you know that's in the organization, uh, it doesn't sting quite as bad. Um, it's it's something that there's a camaraderie there that I think comes from our game. You know, uh, it's just like when you finish a round of golf and maybe you got beat by your competitor but you take your hat off and you shake his hand and or her hand and, and you uh, – you know you congratulate them and you you hope to do better next time it's not a whole lot different in in the competitive world of golf course design and uh, you know it's an honor to represent those folks uh i'm going to have some opportunities to to go to some things and do some things that uh that i haven't done in the past uh, we've got a study tour coming up in australia in november that my wife and i are going to attend uh, so we're excited about that um, and create, some, create and continue to strengthen some of the relationships that we have uh, within the golf industry and with some of our allied associations will be, uh, will be some of the highlights, I think, that will, will happen over the year.
0: Well, Jeff, this was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for the time. Congrats again on becoming president. And the cool thing about becoming president is that you get to go to a lot of events and see a lot of people. So I'm sure I'll be seeing you very, very soon.
1: Absolutely. We may see you up at the U.S. Open here in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, we can't wait. Uh, Thanks a lot for the time.
1: Okay, thank you, guys.